amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I'm in the back here if you want to look. And if not, you can stay facing forward. It was pretty funny. Most people in first service stayed facing forward because that's what we're used to, right? That's the ritual and routine, the ceremony that's comfortable to us. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 7, he breaks the ceremony, the ritual, the routine in a terribly disruptive and disturbing way. Uh, And today what we want to do is consider not just the message that Jeremiah is supposed to proclaim, but the place in which he proclaims it. So we've just got to see this, right? Um, uh, The message is amend your ways and your deeds, fix your life, stop sinning, uh, cut out the baggage that's not appropriate for your life. And if you do that, I will let you live in this place, God says. Uh, Dwelling in this place probably means the temple proper. Uh, It also probably means the city of Jerusalem. And in a bigger way, it also means uh, the whole southern kingdom of the people of God. Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Uh, It's not just the message that's important, but also the place where he proclaims it. God said, hey, Jeremiah, go stand in the, uh, in the gates of the Lord's house. So he stood in the doors to the church. He stood in the doors to the temple. Um, uh, to be clear and, uh, and just geographically correct, uh, he's probably standing in the gate between the outer court and the inner court. So a little bit of detail here, which you probably don't really need to know, just telling you up front. Right, the outer court is a place where people would go in and they would worship by making an offering. Uh, maybe they would uh, take in the offering that they had made throughout the course of the year, some portion of their crop or some portion of the money that they had earned in their craft, and they would make an offering to God because they recognized that everything they had was from God, and they wanted to give back a portion of it to God. It was also a place where they could purchase an animal uh, or something to be sacrificed, and so they would take that sacrifice, and they would uh, take it into the inner court and give it to the priest. Uh, The outer court was also a place where um, they could listen to a rabbi read scripture uh, because that's who read scripture at that point in time. And scripture was primarily the the first five books uh, in the Old Testament and probably the book of Psalms or at least a portion of it. Uh, And they would maybe hear a rabbi uh, speak about it, uh, about those uh, portions of scripture that they were reading. Uh, and so, like I said, the inner court then is a place where they would take the, uh, the animal sacrifice, they'd give it to the priest, the priest would uh, shed blood and end something's life, and then after that moment, then uh, sin could be atoned for, it could be forgiven. And so Jeremiah is probably standing in the gate between the outer court and the inner court. He's standing in the door of the temple of the Lord, um, and he's shouting this message. Amend your ways and your deeds. Can you imagine how disruptive it would be, how disturbing it would be if you're walking in from the parking lot and some loudmouth prophet is out there saying, amend your ways and your deeds, you mess-ups, right? It would uh, reframe the way that you enter worship. Uh, What if you were in here trying to listen to a really great sermon and engage the worship music and you were trying to go through the regular rituals and routines and some loudmouth prophet starts to shout out, amend your ways and your deeds and I'll let you continue to dwell in this place. Jeremiah was stationed in the gate of the temple of the Lord 
because everybody would hear him. And God had a clear message to deliver. So the message is important, but also where the message is delivered is massively important. Uh, let, let's think about the, the message that Jeremiah speaks, right? The message is amend your ways and your deeds. Um, at this time in history, uh, um, there was a growing power from the north uh, called the Babylonian nation. And uh, there was a lot of fear about this growing world power. Uh, they were literally beginning to dominate most of the world at that time. And so there was some growing concern that, uh, that, if, the Babylons, uh, that if the Babylonians came, they would be able to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And so there's kind of two sets of voices at the time of Jeremiah, um, one set of voices, I'll move over here so you see that this is one set of voices. One set of voices basically would say, ah, don't worry about that power from the north, we are good. If you remember back a few weeks ago, I had four different people up front and they all were doing different motions and it uh, showed us four different ways that people were receiving the words of God. Uh, so this is the group of people that were basically patting themselves on the back, I think that was Chuck. Uh, patting yourself on the back, right? Um, these are people that had a, a prideful and privileged position. Uh, they were cozy in their relationship with God uh, because uh, they basically said, oh, God loves us. We can do whatever we want, even if it's the worst thing for us. Um, uh, they weren't evil in heart. I, I want you to see this and kind of draw this out today. Um, uh, what they were doing was they, they had three different reasons for this kind of false security, right? That, hey, we're good, God loves us, we can do whatever we want. Uh, one reason, as you see there, is 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, they don't know about it as 2 Samuel 7. What they know is that God made a promise to this king named David, and God said, hey, David, somebody from your family is going to sit on the throne over the people of God forever. David, your throne is going to last forever, and so the people in this category, the people in this kind of privileged, prideful position would pat themselves on the back and say, see, God promised that the throne of David would last forever, so he would never let that power from the north come and wipe us out. God wouldn't be keeping his promises then. Uh, they also uh, kind of just had this thing where they said, look, we're still here. We've survived up to this point, so God clearly loves us, and he loves us so much we can do whatever we want, even if it's the worst thing for us. See, at this time in history, the northern kingdom of the people of God has already been wiped out and destroyed. So uh, the Assyrian army came in and wiped them out, uh, just completely destroyed them. And, and then the Assyrian army came and started knocking at the door of the city of Jerusalem. And, uh, and God uh, did some miracles and chased the Assyrian army away. And so here the southern kingdom and the city of Jerusalem and the temple are there and, uh, and they have survived. And so they're patting themselves on the back saying, see, God loves us. We've survived. We're still in it. And he loves us so much that we can do whatever we want, even if it's the worst thing for us. Uh, the last reason that these folks would have had this mindset was, uh, was the presence of God. Uh, as Solomon finished the temple, <coughs> excuse me, as Solomon finished the temple, uh, he arranged for the first worship 
uh, service to happen in that temple. And, uh, and before the, that worship ceremony started, there was this giant cloud that came down from heaven. And the people rightly understood that that was the presence of God descending from heaven and landing in and on the temple of God. And so from that day forward, everybody knew that God was truly present in the temple. That the temple itself was a symbol of the presence of God. And so just see this, right? If we've survived and, and God has uh, helped us so far, and, and if God is truly present in this temple, then he would never allow this power from the north, this Babylonian destructive army to come up and destroy us. We're good. We can keep doing things the way we have. God loves us. We can keep going even if it's the worst thing for us. And then there's this other voice that God sends, and this other voice has to stand in the gate of the temple, and he has to shout, amend your ways and your deeds. Um, do not trust in the false security of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Um, uh, pretty interesting, right? Uh, Jeremiah basically says, hey, uh, you better be paying attention to that power from the north because God is behind that power from the north. He is using that power from the north. And folks, God loves you, yes, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He loves you too much to let you keep on doing stuff that's bad for you. He loves you too much to let you keep doing things that are going to hurt you. And so Jeremiah gets real specific in chapter 7 here, and he lists off six different things that uh, need to be amended, that need to be fixed in their lives. Uh, one thing that they're doing is they are taking advantage of other people. Uh, it's really clear uh, in God's uh, plan, God's desire is for his people to take care of others that can't take care of themselves. And the people of God aren't doing that at this time in history. What they're doing is they're taking advantage of people that can't take care of themselves. Um, they're also worshiping other gods, which is the first commandment. They're breaking the first commandment. Um, they are putting their hope and their trust in something or someone besides the one true God. We've talked before about how hope is, uh, uh, is not just a vague wish in Scripture. Hope is a certainty that something better is to come. So the people would look at something else besides God as a certainty that something good is going to come. Um, they would steal, which is another one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, they would take things that weren't their own. Uh, they would murder which is another one of the Ten Commandments. Um, murder has kind of a broad range of understandings in Scripture itself. It does mean shed blood and end somebody's life. It also means uh, hurting or harming someone else emotionally or physically. It also means just getting angry with somebody. That's how Jesus interprets it. Uh, maybe it even means losing patience with somebody. Uh, they were committing adultery. Uh, which we could say today just means that they weren't having sex as God designed sex to be done. Uh, they, they were married and having sex with somebody that wasn't their spouse. Uh, they were married, but they were looking at pornography. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways that we could describe adultery today, but we could just say they weren't having sex as God desired for them to have sex. 
and they were swearing falsely, right? Another one of the Ten Commandments. They were lying either about themselves or about their situation and circumstance or about other people around them. And the reality is that we look at that list and we realize that probably at least one of those uh, we struggle with. Uh, one of those puts us in a place where we say, I have a way or a deed in my life that needs to be amended, that needs to be fixed. I've got something in my life that, that I need to make a plan for change. Um, and, 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 and then, of course, we could go beyond this list and think about other things. As the loudmouth prophet stands in the door of the church and says, amend your ways and your deeds. And then I'll let you continue to dwell in this place. So um, if I had to offer just one specific application for us today, if I had to suggest um, one specific practice, it would be this thing of checking your heart at the door. Um, again, notice um, Jeremiah uh, is standing at the gate, which tells me that uh, it's not meant to say, I'm going to check my heart during the worship. I'm going to check my heart during the sermon. I'm going to check my heart in worship. I'm going to check my heart in the parking lot before I walk in. I'm going to check my heart on a regular daily basis. I'm going to go to God and say, hey, God, what is in my life that needs to be changed? Uh, one of the things, uh, when I used to be able to hike, <laughs> one of the things that I uh, did pretty regularly, uh, well, I'd say semi-regularly, is I would just literally walk through the Ten Commandments. And I would say, hey, God, how am I breaking this commandment? Uh, basically just assuming that I was, and I'm looking for God to show me in which way I was breaking it, so that I could make a plan for change. If there's one specific application, one specific practice that I think this temple sermon calls us to, it's this thing of checking your heart. Check your heart at the door. Check your heart in the parking lot. Check your heart when you wake up in the morning. Amend your ways and your deeds. Don't trust in the false security that God loves you so you can do whatever you want. Don't trust in the false security of, oh, I read my scripture. I'll do whatever I want. Don't trust in, in the false security of, I go to church once a week. Don't trust in the, in the false security of, I put money in the plate. Don't trust in the false security of, God loves me and I'll do whatever I want, even if it's the worst thing for me. Uh, would you do me a favor and, uh, and just everybody kind of turn back and look? I want you to be able to see what's going to happen over the next couple of minutes. I'm sorry if it's uncomfortable. Uh, somebody said in the first service, uh, well, you know, you're, you're uncomfortable every week, so you're just going to give us a pain in the neck. Uh, maybe that's fair. Um, I, I want you to see this, right? Again, the, the message is massively important for us today, right? This idea of checking your heart at the door and this message of amending your ways and your deeds. But it's not just where, it's not just what is spoken, but where it's spoken, because I believe Jeremiah is placed at just the right place to show us the incredible love of our God. God stands in the door, and sometimes he shuts the doors, and sometimes he opens them. 
And I want you to see this, right? Both things are done out of his incredible love for you. Uh, sometimes God will shut the door on something. Uh, let me just actually do that without falling over. Sometimes God will shut the door. He'll send the trouble from the north. He'll allow the world power to come and destroy everything. He'll send a season of struggle and difficulty that you wished wasn't there. Um, that doesn't mean that every struggle and difficulty is from God, but it does mean that sometimes he'll do that because he wants to shut a door on something that's not going to be good for you. Do you see how that's done out of love? See, sometimes we, we get mad or frustrated with a God who, who, who pours out wrath or, or a God who shuts doors. We say, how can he do that? I thought God was love. Yeah, he is love. So he shuts the doors. Um, if I'm going down a wrong path, I expect my wife who loves me to say, hey, Dave, that's not a good path for you. You better choose a different one. Uh, if I'm doing things in my life that are not going to ultimately be good for me, then I expect my friends like Ray to come up to me and say, hey, that's not good. You should check yourself and do something different. Uh, if I'm going down a, a bad path, I expect my parents who love me unconditionally to come and say, hey, David, they never call me Dave. Hey, David, you're going down the wrong path and I want you to choose something different. See, they do that out of love because they want what's best for me. And so they shut a door on one part of my life and encourage me to walk in a different one. I'd encourage you to just have that spirit when you look at God and you consider the fact that he allows the Babylonian nation to come and he allows the Babylonian nation to destroy. He's shutting a door on a season on something that's not good for you. And he does that out of his love. Jeremiah is placed in just the right place because we can see that sometimes God shuts doors in love on things that are not going to be good for us. But, but I want you to see this. Uh, God also opens doors in his love. Specifically, he just opens one door for you. He opens up the door to a relationship and a connection with himself. And he does that by sending his one and only son. See, it's terribly fascinating. The people of God at this time, right, they're saying and they're doing one thing, but their, their words and their actions aren't matching up with their heart. They aren't in alignment with each other. That never happens with God. What Kristen said in the kids' chat is so true, right? He's not acting. He's not pretending. He has a heart love for you, and he shows that in what he says and in what he does. And so he dies on the cross, and he rises from the dead. And he says to you, look, my deeds have amended your ways. My deeds have amended your relationship, your connection to the Heavenly Father. And so the door is always, always open. It's an incredible place 
for Jeremiah to speak. It's a challenge for us to consider this process of looking at my own heart. But we keep coming back to a God who shuts doors on things that aren't good for us and a God who's already opened up the door to relationship connection with him. Amen? Hey, what I want to do over the next couple of minutes, I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to open up the doors, first of all, and we're going to leave them open for the rest of worship. I don't know who usually shuts them, but I want them to stay open for the rest of worship today. Uh, and then the, the second thing that I, I want to do is, uh, uh, can we go backwards to that list of six things? And uh, we're just going to have literally a couple, couple minutes of silence. And uh, I want you to just take a look at that list and, and examine your own heart. Again, hopefully we can do that in the parking lot or even in bed before we get up in the morning. But, but now's an opportunity, a time to really just examine our own hearts, to check our hearts and, and, and admit our sins and our mistakes and our failures. And so I want you to, to take that time and, and I'll hobble my way back to the front and, and I'll remind you once again about the, the love and the forgiveness that our God has for each one of us. Uh, so let's take that time of silence now to look at that list or consider other things in your own life. I want to share the words of, uh, of Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, God, I am he. I am he who blots out, who wipes away who wipes out all of your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins anymore. If you could imagine your sins being listed on a piece of paper, your sins being written in a book, your sins being posted on a screen, we've got a God who says, no, no, your page is blank because I have shed my blood and I've risen from the dead so that all of your sins might be wiped away, washed away, made clean again. All of your sins truly have been forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.